0: Hello, and welcome to my first answering reader questions. A little while ago, I posted to my blog and sent out to my newsletter that if anyone had any questions, I'd be happy to answer and ask me anything format. So anything that I write about or cover, usually these things are sustainability, leadership, sustainability, leadership, habits, SID Shah's, conversations with guests, podcasting, other things that I write about. Feel free to ask, and I'll do my best to answer. I got about eight questions. I'm gonna do the first two today. Just testing out this format the first one from manuel perez Alonso. hi joshua in the winter months of this year in new york in your flat will you use heating or blankets first blankets definitely yes heating for the past several years i have not turned on the heater in my building on the roof there's a big chiller and heater that it chills water in the summer and heats water in the winter that passes through the whole building In each apartment, you can turn on a blower and it blows air past the hot or cold pipes and either cools or heats your apartment. Every year, the maintenance staff comes in and they check the filter. And as far as I know, I'm the only person in the building that they never have to change the filter for. The guy comes in, unscrews the thing, opens it up, sees that I haven't used it. I say, can you please not put a new one in because I'm not gonna use it and I don't want to contribute the extra garbage. Let's see, I do have the benefit of five of the six walls and floor and ceiling of my apartment face the rest of the building. So I get some chilling from my walls and ceiling and floor and I get some heating in that's in the the summer and I get some heating in the winter and my windows are a bit drafty. So I put a piece of plastic up over that I tape around so that covers up the drafts. So it gets pretty well sealed in here. Still it's a lot colder in here in the winter and a lot hotter in here in the summer than the rest of the building. There's nothing I can do. I mean, I I don't do any more than that. That said, all right, so what do I do? So I wear lots of sweaters. It does hit me that I'm actually still paying for the heating and cooling, but a lot of people in the building will, if I say to them, I don't turn it on, they say, oh, it's just a matter of the fan. All you do is turn on the fan. There's not a whole lot more power. I don't know if this is because they are just telling themselves these things or they're not thinking about it, but physics, Q equals MC delta T, the heat that if I pass the fan let's say it's in the winter and I pass a cold air past hot pipes. I cool off the water in the pipes, which means that cool water goes back up to the top of the building. And then the heater has to heat that. And that uses energy. It's a lot more than the energy of just the fan. So it's not just, I mean, that's the only thing that will show up on my personal heating bill or cool, uh, electrical bill, but it's not, you're getting something for nothing. I think most of the people in the building think that now I mentioned the blankets, I happen to have a incredibly hot down comforter. I was at the store some years ago. I went over, I wanted a down comforter. This was before I was vegan and didn't think much about it. Uh, I guess I thought something about getting something that was animal. Anyway, I went to the store. I picked one up and I was about to walk away. And then I saw the sign. It said light, medium, heavy. And I picked up a light one. So I thought, I don't know which ones I should get, but I guess I'll go with a medium. So I went and put the light back, got a medium. This thing is so hot. I can only use it in the coldest of cold temperatures. Otherwise, I wake up in the middle of the night sweating. So I have to to figure out how to have it half cover me but half not cover me. It's been very complicated. I have a couple quilts from my grandmother and that my mom has helped remake. But something's worked out. In the past couple of years, various neighbors of mine have, for various reasons, gotten rid of their covers. And some of these covers are very nice. So I'm going to sell... The down comforter and switch only to these hand-me-down blankets because they're they're very comfortable and they work very well and I very much like sleeping in cold temperature under warm blankets. So that will resolve also selling that that uh, comfortable resolve the the vegan animal issue. Someone else will have it. That's they're gonna be their issue on that. Now that's when guests visit. The woman that I dated for the past several years was I don't know comfortable. I mean, she was tolerant. She was fine coming over here. I mean, she didn't like it as cold as it was for me. But in the winter, I would tend to go over to her place more. Her apartment was one of these places in New York where the super just turns it on full blast and you can't turn it down. Actually, I have a friend who runs a business called Radiator Labs, which creates a an insulator with a little controller that operates a fan. So you can put it over, if you have a building like this, you can put this insulator thing over your incredibly hot radiator. It will insulate the radiator and let air out from it at uh, whatever temperature you set it to. So this is a great invention. I don't need it in this place. I didn't suggest that she got it in her place, but I think he sells it mainly to hold buildings. I'm not sure. In any case, in her building, everyone had to open up their windows in the winter time, Otherwise, it was insanely hot in their apartments. So I would go over there more than she would come over here in the winter. Well, she would come over here more because that was Queens and Manhattan. It's just easier in Manhattan. But when friends visit, I'm trying to think Over the pandemic, I didn't have a whole lot of friends visiting. From before the pandemic, I wasn't as sensitive to pollution. Definitely there were times when I would air condition all the time. Not all the time, not as much as some people. I think some people in my building turn on the air conditioner roughly in late April or early May or sometime in the spring. And I think they just keep it on the entire time until September or October. I would turn it on when I was home, but now I don't. Something driving me at the bottom of it all is that people have lived in Manhattan for something like 10,000 years. They weren't burning fossil fuels in all that time. They were happy and healthy, living long, productive lives before Europeans arrived. And I guess they were wearing animal pelts, I'm not exactly sure. But if they could do that, and people live far north of here, people talk about me sometimes as being extreme. But increasingly, as I think of our culture as just one culture of many, And therefore there may be 330 million Americans, but all of them collectively just, that's one culture, maybe lots of subcultures. I see them as extreme. I see myself as traditional. I see myself as doing what people have done for a long, long time. This mindset shift, I cannot overstate. How something feels, the pleasure or lack of pleasure, how we frame it makes a huge difference in how we interpret these things. Humans lived in places a lot hotter and a lot colder than here, a lot more humid, a lot less humid than here, and they do just fine. I'm learning how to live as they have. Americans are pretty happy, but I don't think we're anywhere near our our potential. I know I'm not, and this is helping me realize it. All right, so I hope I answered that first question. Let me get to the next one. Okay, question two. It's a long question. Can you describe a time when you struggled with a decision about a polluting act? To give an example of what I mean for my own life, as you know, I'm trying to reduce my car use. To go to Modern Jive, that's the dance class that this writer uh, goes to, that requires a car use, Parenthetically, she adds, no suitable public transport, too far to walk in the dark, And parentheses. So I've wrestled with giving it up, but decided I didn't want to because of all the benefits to me. Can you think of an example like that in your life? Perhaps something that you couldn't find a less polluting alternative, but didn't want to give up. I thought of a few examples. The farm that produces the vegetables for my CSA, every summer, Labor Day weekend, which is the weekend that just passed, early September for those not in the United States, they have a potluck lunch. Over the pandemic, they did not provide... And this is up at the farm. So the farm is 130 miles door-to-door from my apartment to there. I looked up on the map. You'll hear why in a second. Before the pandemic, they chartered a bus for all the people in Manhattan who don't have cars or maybe who do have cars but just want to take a chartered bus. But during the pandemic, that chartered bus didn't go up. So last year, I didn't go. This year, I decided to ride my bike up. I rode my bike. That's why I had the map to see the exact route to, to ride up there. I intended to ride the whole way, I made it 92 miles over Saturday and Sunday. My mom and stepfather lived nearby there, so they came and picked me up from the 92-mile mark or you know how far I could make it. Then we went to the potluck lunch. Okay, there were a couple things. One, was I going to accept the car ride from as far as I could go to the farm? The alternative would be, well, I wouldn't make it to the farm in time for the lunch because that's as far as I could go. Uh, man, I was going up hills in the bottom gear of my bike for hours. And I was really tired, because I you know, tent, sleeping bag, two days worth of food on my bike. It was a heavy, lots of hills. So the alternative is I could go to the train station, just take the train back, without having made it all the way up there. Because at Poughkeepsie, which is about 90 miles or 75, 80 miles up, I could have gone to that train station and just come back home without having a potluck. Or I could have contacted the farm and asked if they knew anyone from where I'd made it to, Poughkeepsie or somewhere around there, could I get a ride with them from there to the rest of the way? But my mom and stepfather wanted to go to the farm, so I accepted the ride there. Now, that's not so much because they're going to be driving around anyway. Actually, the dashboard on the car said they get something like 25 miles to the gallon, which seems pretty low. But that was a minor decision. When we got there, my plan was to find someone who was driving back to Poughkeepsie or at least somewhere by a train station that I could get a ride with my bike to the train station, or maybe someone came all the way from Manhattan. I could get a ride all the way back into the city. As we were eating, my stepfather goes on his phone. This year, you might know that I made a decision. I do not have screens on when I eat. So once I start eating, even if I'm just by myself, no screens. And if I want to check my email while I'm eating, I stop eating, open up the screen, check email, close the screen, start eating again. So it's kind of a shock to my system to see someone using the phone while they're eating. Anyway, he's looking up when the trains go back. At some point, he realizes that there's a train from a different station that's kind of on the way back for them. And he says, well, we can give you a ride from that station. Then after a bunch of people leave, and I I say, if it's no problem for you, I'll do that. But only if it's no problem for you. And they say, it's no problem for us. It turns out that the only train that goes from that station is like 8 p.m. And this is like 3 p.m. So they start driving, and the only option is to go to Poughkeepsie or I could wait until eight, eight, wait five hours in a train station. The Poughkeepsie ride is an extra hour from the farm to there and then an extra hour back for them to go back home. So it's not a, when I accepted his offer, I didn't realize I was taking on a risk of extraneous riding, but that whole ride in the car, and I said to them, oh, this isn't, this is an extra an hour. And they said, both my mom and stepfather in their various ways said, Oh, it's no problem. We aim to please. We're happy to drive you the extra distance. And I'm sitting there t- thinking, how do I say to them, I deeply appreciate that you're driving me, but the two extra hours of driving have completely undone the riding. I wasn't riding just for my health, although I do enjoy riding, although it was pretty difficult. And now it's a couple of days later, I'm like really wrecked. But how do I say to them? This is, this is something I struggle with all the time is accepting gifts from people there's someone you might have listened to one of my podcasts. Stephen M. R. Covey offered me a book and he only has printed copies. So I'm like, how do I get I really want to accept this gift, but I don't want it shipped, because then I have to put the ship the the packaging in my in my uh garbage and I'm trying to keep my book garbage low. They probably don't recognize that I'm not trying to save money or sa- save a little bit of stuff. It's like I'm not gonna go into why details matter in when one cares about something. It's like Every brush stroke matters when you're a really good painter. Every note matters when you're playing your heart with your heart. Likewise this feels to me like it's it's not an artistic expression but it's something like that. Accepting gifts, sometimes I accept gifts, sometimes I accept being taken to dinner or something like that. I got taken to this dinner and it was all it was very doofy, the food. I mean everything was deep fried. I just had a salad. I you know, I have to sit there and like it's difficult for me to figure out how to explain to people I appreciate the sentiment it means a lot to me it means the world to me and I don't want to accept the physical thing so there's gifts that's a big thing I volunteer a lot to get food so this is another place a lot of these stores around here I don't really call them they're ghost stores they're places that only deliver and they do it in like 10-15 minutes and a lot of them throw away a lot of food or they would throw away a lot of food but they have these donation shelves and I volunteer with this organization that we go and pick up the stuff that would have been thrown away perfectly good stuff they just got to get it off their shelves and we bring it to a, a community center where anyone can pick it up, often people who have less means. The deal with it is that anyone who volunteers can take some stuff. Oftentimes, I drop stuff off, and people take the packaged stuff, and they leave the vegetables. So I'm often, I often take a lot of the vegetables. To me, they're the best part. Other people don't take them, but that's their business. And I tell myself this stuff would have been thrown away. So sometimes I take stuff that is in a package that I would never buy. I'm following the rules that were set up before I was there. The, the people who volunteer, part of the motivation to get people to do it, and otherwise the stuff might stay on the shelves if they didn't get enough volunteers. Partly I tell myself, well, those are the rules. I, I didn't make them up. I'm just following them. But partly I tell myself if I didn't take, say, this package of blueberries in a plastic container, then someone of lower means than me could get them. And also I don't take – my rule is that if I take – if I pick up well, – how do I put this? Before this volunteering, every now and then I would find food out. Like in the park where I pick up litter every day, they often give out food. And a lot of times people throw the food away. And sometimes it's in, in like perfectly good packaging, totally sealed. So I would take it. And I made a rule for myself. If I'm taking package, uh, packaged food that was going to be thrown away and it's really in the trash or on the ground, but it's still healthy in, inside, sealed, then I don't have to take the garbage home and put it into my garbage. Because, you know, I have, I have this one garbage thing that's been going for three, just about three years now. So this is a tough decision. If I'm volunteering and bringing stuff that's packaged that someone could take, but I wouldn't get it otherwise. So I take the stuff back. I don't take the packaging. I leave that in a garbage can or a recycling bin outside and take the food home. And I go back and forth on this. I wouldn't get it otherwise. It might be left to get thrown out otherwise, but maybe other people would do what I'm doing instead. So that's another place where I'm, I'm not really quite sure. Let me go back now to another situation. Long time ago, 2016, the last time that I flew, two times before, the time before that was when I was on a flight and I saw a video of David McKay, author of a book I highly recommend, Sustainability Without the Hot Air. I highly recommend this book. It's free online, Sustainability Without the Hot Air, talking about how much pollution flying cost. I thought it wasn't that much. And he said flying, I think he's British, so he said London to L.A. round trip, I think he said was roughly the equivalent of warming the globe a year's worth of driving in the ballpark. That was much more than I thought. I was on a flight when I watched that, and I thought, this is way more than I thought. I don't know if I can fly anymore. And this dwelled on me. But I still bought one more ticket. My very last flight was to into London. I gave a talk. Oh, it was my friend's birthday. Had this rocking 48-hour birthday party. Took the train to Paris and took the flight back from Paris. It was my first time in Paris, in a long time, you might know that I lived there for a year, really loved the place. When I was staying with my friend in London, we were partying, having a great time, didn't think about it. But in London and in Paris, I couldn't fall asleep. I was lying awake in this in bed in this uh, Airbnb place that I was staying at, just thinking about the flying, my conscience, how much I was polluting well more than, you know, You you might not care. You might not think that it matters. Maybe you think, oh, it's just 1% or a few percent, but it was most of my pollution. Eventually... I decided that's the flight that I decided I wasn't going to fly. Well, then I decided I would go for a year without flying. But I did choose to go on that flight knowing, like I didn't learn anything on that trip. I learned it on the trip before. So that trip was a really brutal experience for me. I mean, I w- wasn't just lying awake in bed. I was lying awake in bed, like tossing and turning and, and really struggling with that. And ultimately it led me to do that year without flying. Only then did I realize that not flying was... Again, traditional, not extreme, extreme compared to the average American, but the average American is just that's one culture. And America's an extreme culture. Every other culture, but every culture before nineteen oh three when the first right brother when the right brothers first flew didn't fly. So that was a struggle for me. And then that first the beginning of it, you know, when I when I first decided to do that year, right after that, like the week after I decided to go for a year without flying, my sister told me that she and her family were going to go to Japan. They found round-trip tickets to Tokyo for $800. And I thought, $800, that's really cheap. I can't pass this up. So I thought, oh, I'll just start my year after I get back. Uh, But that one, I realized, no, that one, uh, am I trying to live by my values or not? So I didn't, and I have absolutely zero regrets, but it was a struggle at the time. Now, I also have to say, I feel every day, you know, when I, I pick up litter, every piece I walk past, I think, should I pick up that one? Should I pick up that one? Should I pick up that one? And I pick up like, I don't know. It's probably like 50 pieces a day. Cause that's how many I pass just walking around. But of the other 50 that I pass by that I don't pick up, I'm like, should I pick that up? Should I not pick up? And it dwells on me. Not because I take responsibility, not because, not because it's, an, it's not something I have to do. It's not something I should do. It's just to me, just because it's not physically in the home that's legally mine within the walls of my apartment doesn't mean I still don't feel a sense of home. And I, I wouldn't want litter I don't want litter on my home in my actual apartment and this is it's just outside and then why I'm doing it do I tell people do I not tell people if I see someone litter do I say something to them or not a little while ago a couple of weeks ago I bought a shirt I when I walk around sometimes I stop in these thr- thrift shops around me and I wanted a, a shirt of a particular type of tank top as I lift more I'm not too vain to say but my muscles are not particularly big, but I do like wearing shirts that show off my shoulders more. And also, oh, the summer, I prefer a tank top to a non-tank top. So I saw a tank top on sale. It was a cheap price. It was used, not new, from a thrift shop. And I bought it. Actually, I, there were two of them that both looked great, and I went up to buy both, and I thought, you know what? I, only, I don't need both. So I only bought one, and I felt good about not getting it. But then as soon as I bought it, I thought, it's late August. The summer's almost over. I could have waited next year if I really needed one to get one then. Because I've been stopping and, and seeing lots of tank tops, but none that were just quite right. And this one was really, like, it was just what I was looking for. Then I bought it, and I was like, maybe I didn't need to buy it. I mean, I've worn it a couple times. Now the weather is cooling off. Should I bought it? Should I not have bought it? I mean, it's a thrift shop. You know, I I go through the same things as everyone else does. Just usually I don't buy things. This time I did. So I'm up to buying something like, I don't know, six, seven, eight things this year. Not counting food. And each thing I buy, do I need it or not? Actually, a friend of mine gave me a pretty good rule to live by on buying clothing. Every item of clothing should be the best item you've ever gotten. And I try to live by that. Is this the best item I've ever gotten? So my wardrobe is always improving. It used to be based on pure fashion, looks, fit. Now it's also what's it made out of? Is it sustainable? Do I need it? Is it functional? I'm also thinking about when am I going to plug my apartment back in again, because I know I'm going to plug it back in at some point. That is, reconnect the circuit to the power grid, so I draw power from the power grid, which is polluting. Even with the solar panels, I'm not sure what's going to happen in the winter when the days are shorter, the sun's not as direct, I might not want to go up on the roof when it's really cold out. I've been plugging in, you know, I've been telling people my one cheat is that I can bring my computer and phone and work at NYU and plug in while I'm there, because I did that before, I'm not trying to change my... I'm not trying to unplug everywhere, just my apartment. Start with one thing, see where it goes. But I realized that plugging it in NYU, if I plug it in at home, plug it in NYU, I'm not using less power. So if I plug it in at home instead of NYU, that's what I ought to do that. But I can tell that I'm going to get the, one, I'm going to feel dirty just reconnecting the circuit. Two, I know I'm going to feel a tug to plug back in. Like right now I'm recording at home. I look at my battery and it's at 27%. So i got to start thinking, like, I'm not going to watch any videos. I'm not going to just listen to music because it's running out. But if I plug in, I know it's going to be so tempting to just watch one more video, to stay online a little bit longer, to do something. Like, instead of reading, I've been reading more books while not being plugged in. So I know that tug is going to be there. When do I plug back in? How long do I keep it going? When I do plug back in, how often do I use the computer? How often do I, like, I didn't use the fan this summer. That meant there were several nights when I woke up sweating and it was hard to fall back asleep. What do I do about a situation like that? I'm actually glad that I did it. In the moment, it was tough, but you know these are the things that we learn from. Is it really that hard to sweat a few nights? I mean, people talk about other cultures and visiting other cultures. And I grew up, you might know that I spent a year in India as a baby, and then I went there a couple times later in my life. And one of the things about India It hits, I don't know, 120 degrees in Ahmedabad, and people are sleeping out on the street. A lot of people sleeping out on the street. Now, what's more visiting, what's more experiencing another culture? For me to live in heat here or to go there, and I think the people there, the Americans when they go there, if it's really hot, I think they're looking at people from air-conditioned cars. Just looking at it, I think it's more like going to the zoo. I think living how other people live brings me closer to them than flying in and swooping in, like going to the zoo and being like, oh, look at that, and not really experiencing it. I'm not saying that living in a little bit of heat is like being in India. I'm saying that living under the constraints that others do, that's more experiencing those cultures. Anyone can unplug their fridge. Anyone with a refrigerator can unplug their fridge and learn what cuisine is like in another place where they have to use what's there rather than you know, buy whatever you want and put in the freezer and stuff like that. So I wouldn't do that. If I could just plug in, I wouldn't have that experience. So as I saw it, and people can frame it however they want. I know a lot of people frame it as like, oh, that's terrible. It's suffering. Why would you do that? Just put on the air conditioner, you extreme person. But in my experience, I was experiencing India. I was experiencing what it's like for other people. But I wasn't spending thousands of dollars to fly there and polluting the air to get there. I guess what I'm getting at is the more that I live sustainably, the more that I find I like the experience, even if it's not as pleasurable as I expect. So this challenge happens to me all the time. On a daily basis, I'm like, should I do this? Should I not do it? What's the point, I often feel like? That's another big one. Why bother? Because it's not going to make that much of a difference, my actions. Generally, my internal response to that, there's a lot of them. I mean, one of the big parts of, I think, leadership in general is how do you keep yourself on the path, on your mission? When, if leadership is necessary, it means people don't know the route and people aren't going to go on it without leadership. So that means I'm doing things that other people aren't doing, don't understand, uh, argue with, put me down for, and yet I think it's right. So I have to figure out how to resolve these things every single time. It's really difficult. One of the things that sustains me is I'm playing scales. If you want to play Carnegie Hall, you've got to play a lot of scales. What, no one wants to go to Carnegie Hall to see someone play scales. They want to see them play their heart out. They want to see them play deep, meaningful music, expressing themselves through that music. The only way I know how to get there is through playing scales. So if turning off, if unplugging the fridge, that's kind of an advanced scale. Maybe the beginning was going for a week without buying packaged food. If that's playing a scale, then eventually I make it up to simple pieces, more complex pieces, playing in front of an audience, playing in front of a bigger audience, playing in front of an audience with people I don't know in it, you know, eventually making it to Carnegie Hall. And that's what I'm doing. Except in this performance art, it's avoiding packaged food. It's unplugging the fridge. It's unplugging the apartment. It's picking up litter. All these sorts of things. That's me playing scales in my performance art. Playing Carnegie Hall for me would be leading in a workshop leaders, decision makers, CEOs of major polluting organizations or politicians to actually themselves take on sustainability and change the culture of their organizations, of their constituencies to embrace sustainability and enjoy it, to look at it as something they want to do, not something that they have to do. Because you know, without that mindset shift, I think we're pushing against resistance with that mindset shift, we're discovering joy, fun, freedom, connection, meaning, purpose. That's Carnegie Hall. I hope these are good examples. So these are the first two Ask me anything or responding to listener questions. Oh, my goodness, it's almost half an hour. I didn't realize I talked so long. I hope it was useful. If you have questions that I could answer on your practice, on sustainability, on leadership, on sustainability leadership, on how to ferment foods, on, I don't know, all the stuff I, I talk and write about, or things that you think I might be knowledgeable about or could help you with. I'm at josh at spodek.net. I hope that doesn't lead to a lot of spam for me. Ask the questions, I'll do my best to answer. I hope my answers that I did so far help people.